Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Brailston. I am joined by my colleagues in Thailand today, uh, Samuel Lukerst and Tyrone Marshall. Samuel, how are you? Very well, very well. Thank you, Stephen. Good to see you. Good to have you back after your, uh, your holiday. You're, you're possibly in a hotter place than we are even at the moment in, in Manchester with this, this heat wave in the UK. The sun is shining in sulfur, believe me. It's very, <laughs> very hot at the moment. Tyrone, how are you? Uh, I'm good. Thank you, Stephen. Good. Yes, been um, enjoying the, the sights and sounds of, of Bangkok alongside some some hard work, obviously. Well, we've just had an interesting story off air about how Ty and Samuel got back to the hotel, but that might be for later in the podcast if we'll have some time. It involves a very dodgy taxi driver. Um, but Samuel, we'll start today with Ten Hag's press conference. Obviously, we were both at it this morning. Um, Ronaldo, the news that he wants to leave the club, that understandably dominated the press conference. What was your initial reaction, really, to Ten Hag's comments when you were there? Well, he's... The good news for me as a chief transcriber of the, of the pack is that he's very easy to transcribe. He's succinct, um, quite quite clear and, and forthright with what he wants to say. And there were a lot of succinct answers. Um, I mean, we had to obviously endure some pomp and ceremony, which is often the case on these tours where the guy who was the organiser sat down and it was almost as if he was going to be staying there next to Ten Hag for, for his press conference. But... Once that chap had answered some questions and Ten Hag answered a few questions from the Thai press at the start of it, but we, we were already in agreement that there was no point. Um, you know, let's say, you know, how, how, how have the sessions been? How's training been? Uh, we noticed that you're doing these passes now in training that are more short, sharp and precise. What, what's the thinking behind that? It, it, was, it was a news, it was a press conference and we needed to get news lines. And obviously it was the first time that he was speaking about Ronaldo and he just he echoed what the club have said in that he's not for sale. I think there must have been about half a dozen Ronaldo questions. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, yeah. Simon yeah, Stone asked the first one. I asked the second, which is on Ronaldo. I think David McDonald, Neil Custis um, asked about him, and there were a couple of a couple of the other guys asked about him as well. So out of possibly a dozen questions, I'd say half of them were on Ronaldo, and, and understandably so because it's it's a huge news story and. None of us out here are, are expecting to be uh, rubbing shoulders with Ronaldo um, at all, really. I think it would be a surprise if he ended up joining the tour, um, given the way it's going. <clears throat> of course, they fly on to Australia on Tuesday night. They arrive there on Wednesday. Um, whatever, it's, it's difficult to keep up with the days at the moment. But I think if he's not, if Ronaldo is not in Melbourne uh, by the end of, of the week, then all of a sudden it's it's almost like there's there's really no point in him coming out here. Um, I suppose the issue is that I was told that Ten Hag spoke to players individually via video calls in May and Ronaldo was one of those players. But Ten Hag clarified, I think it was Laurie who asked the question, asked for clarification on it. Had he spoken to him since the story emerged um, nine days ago um, in the Sunday Times? And he hadn't, which 
is I, th- I think if as a Man United manager, you probably try to need you, you need to try at least to speak to your your best player, your most famous player. Um, certainly one of the most uh, one of the few successes about last season on an individual basis, anyway. Um, and given the magnitude of the story, but I suppose you know, in Ten Hag from Ten Hag's perspective, if, if Ronaldo's not going to be there, maybe he doesn't think he's worth the oxygen. He's got to focus on the players available. That, that's a line that United are trotting out quite a lot at the moment. But the fact that he said he's not for sale, um, that, that obviously echoes what the club have been saying. I, I think that's a mistake, personally. Literally every player in the world has got a price. And with with Ronaldo, I, I, I can see this just rumbling on. Um, when push comes to shove, someone is going to have to break somewhere <clears throat> along the line, whether it's Ronaldo who just accepts that he's marooned at United or United who just accept that they've got to cash in on a player who is unhappy for a number of reasons. And... Really, if he is going to go, um, that's that, that's a massive void in the team that they've got to to occupy. And I mean, even the the captaincy issue, which I'm sure we'll get onto shortly, that's that's linked to it as well. Um, so you, even though the whole Maguire thing and captaincy is is obviously a separate matter to Ronaldo, it is also very much linked to to Ronaldo as well. So, Ty, do you expect Ronaldo to stay at the club, all things considered? And also, another question, where does that leave United if he does leave the club? Because 24 goals last season, he was fantastic in some of the biggest games and provided some wonderful moments. And they'll have no recognised striker, will they? Obviously, there's no recognised striker on the tour at the moment. Um, Well, Anthony Martial's here. Um... (laughs) We're not doing comedy, Ty. (laughs) Um, I would say I'm not sure he will stay. Excuse me. Um, I just think that, you know, there's been a lot of talk about timing of the story. I think the timing of the story has come out because Mendes has probably sussed that there is a market for him now and there is interest. And the reality is, and as Pep Guardiola said last year, Ronaldo is such a big name that he basically decides where he plays. And United have got to accept to a degree that when you sign a player like Ronaldo, it comes with certain conditions, like giving him the platform for success, not finishing sixth and, and playing in the Europa League. And it, it's also the fact that, you know, he's he's 37. He's maybe got two years left at the very highest level. You know, he, he's not the type of person who's just going to accept one year out of the Champions League at the end of his career. We know how driven he is. And I think if there is any chance of going to a Champions League club, I think he will push for it to happen. And I think United will be relatively powerless to to stop it happening if if that happens. Um the issue is if if no market emerges for him or if clubs decide they don't want him or can't afford him, then obviously he ends up staying. And if he stays, I'm, I'm sure he'll, he'll be fantastic this season. Um, but I think if, if there's any serious interest in him, I think he goes, to be honest. Um, yeah, and, 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 you know, it's hugely problematic. I mean, there's this idea that it might help Ten Hag losing a player like like Ronaldo, who's not obviously not a long-term project here. It might help him get his ideas across. It might help him get one to eleven, or playing the same way, rather than having someone like Ronaldo who might not press in the manner he wants. I mean, that's all well and good, but they haven't got a striker to replace him, and realistically, they haven't got the money to get a striker to replace him in this transfer window. You're not going to get much of a transfer fee for Ronaldo. There, you know, the they talk about a sustainable transfer strategy, so it's not like you know you can't imagine they're just going to find sixty million pound down the sofa for a striker. <clears throat> who would they get to replace him as well? So I think it is um, problematic. I can see where people are, why people are saying that 
it, it would help Ten Hag to kind of have almost a fresh start and not have to build a team with Ronaldo as the focal point for a year and then get his own striker in, in 12 months' time. Um, but I think it would leave United very short this year. And like we say, the prospect of Marshall and Rashford even sharing striking duties because it's hard to see where they go in the transfer market in signing a player like that. Obviously, Ronaldo's future, as we've just talked about, was probably the biggest line from the press conference, Samuel. But you just mentioned before Harry Maguire, Ten Hag confirmed that he will be the captain next season. We've discussed that at length, I feel, um, last, last term and whether it was right to keep Maguire on for this time around. Are you surprised at Ten Hag confirming that Maguire will keep the armband? No, I, I don't agree with it. I, I think the captaincy should have been assigned to somebody else, but I suppose the outstanding candidate for that wants out. I would have been very reluctant or hesitant to have given it to Fernandez because already he's had a new contract that was unnecessary. He's played worse since then. He's been given a bump up as far as the squad number is concerned, giving him the captaincy as well. I mean, you, that would be prolonging this culture of, of rewarding failure, essentially, even though he does have some merit as, um, as a captain. And he was certainly, you know, He'd have pushed for it if if there was any indication that Maguire was going to 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 lose the captaincy from from what I was told. But in the end, uh, Ten Hag has stuck with Maguire. And to be honest, the, Fernandez's leadership at times last season was was risible. Ties said it already. The the short corner from Tellez in one of the away games at the end of last season, he gets it. He balloons the ball out for a goal kick, and he blames the guy who's just passing the ball. Uh, that's that's not a constructive form of leadership. But the trouble you've got with Maguire, and I don't know why Ten Hag said it again, because he, I think he said it nearly verbatim um, from, from his first press conference. He said Maguire's had a lot of success in his career. He, he really hasn't. Um, I'm not sure if he's won anything at, at football league level, but his, his career, the successes in his career have been at international tournaments and his performances for England and his, his form throughout those um, throughout the World Cup in 2018 obviously the Euros last year he's he had a pretty good first season with United a decent second season and a walking disaster of the third season and really the United captain has to have some aura about them or they have to have uh, a command of that dressing room now in recent years they've, they've had some real duds as, as captain uh, the, the Valencia Antonio Valencia's choice was uh, really, really strange. Uh, he, he must have spoken about a dozen words of English um, in all his time that he lived in England. Ashley Young took it from him, who was, although he played quite regularly, he was you never really considered him a first teamer. But he, he was a, a voice in the dressing room, and he he did he did command respect from teammates at least. But he's not, you know, I, I think United fans will probably think of Gary Neville or Roy Keane or Brian Robson, and you wouldn't have really categorised. Uh, Ashley Young with them so it, it has been an issue for, for quite some time and I think most of us agree that Maguire was given it prematurely and a few of us have written about it Ronaldo took umbrage with Maguire being captain last season and there are a lot of players in that dressing room who either don't rate him as a player or don't rate him as a captain and that's unsustainable when the dressing room dynamic has it's barely changed. Um, there are still a lot of players in there who are not on Harry Maguire's side, effectively. Um, Eric Bailly is an obvious example. Uh, he effectively 
his his resentment of Maguire went Maguire went public in I think it, it was late April or early May with that that Instagram comment. But it was it was already known that by um, didn't didn't like the fact that Maguire would always be played, however he performed. And again, he wasn't the only one Maguire in that sense under Solskjaer in the, in the first few months of last season. But I just thought for Ten Hag, it would have it it would have. He, he could have been his own man, he could have set his own standards or had his own man as captain. The trouble is, as I said, I don't think there was a standout contender. I suppose David De Gea would have been a good one, but then again, maybe Ten Hag isn't one of these coaches of the persuasion that a goalkeeper should ever be made captain. It's worked for some teams, it's not worked for other teams. Uh, I think there would have been some merit with De Gea and then you just kind of like say to the outfield players, right, you're you're the cultural architects, as Steve McLaren has said, which is not exactly a phrase that I'm on board with, but it's, it's, it's something that, that could work if you just you know leave the leadership to, to outfield players while you've got the official captain in goal. But ultimately, I just, I, I don't look at, if I'm a United teammate of Maguire's, I don't look at him and think, yeah, I want you to lead us out of the tunnel or I, I'm fully behind you. I, I'm fully invested in you. I fully believe in you as a leader. And I, th- I think that's just a problem that's just bound to resurface again this season just because of the reaction um, to to Ten Hag's call. I mean, interestingly, in fact, when, when Maguire was, he wasn't training with the squad today um, because of a, a minor injury that he'd got. So he was working separately. But whenever he's running past supporters in the stands or running towards them he was getting really loud cheers so that was in polar contrast um to what was going on, on twitter where it just looks like a lot of united fans were having a meltdown because he's, he's still got the captaincy so we shouldn't i mean i know it's easy just to go off the, the twitter reaction but I, I can see why a lot of people would also dismiss uh, the noise on twitter and after such a terrible season, you can only get better, can't you? It surely can't be worse. Yeah, you think you can't be worse last season? No. When they sign Alfonso Alves as the new striker, we might <laughs> we might have to rethink that. Ty, if we move on to some transfer news, I've noted down that Ten Hag was coy on Dijon, but it's probably coy on everyone. Coy on every single link. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there was some. It doesn't really give much room. stop halfway through. I thought like so <laughs> abruptly, it was uh, incredible. Sorry, guys. Well, you have touched upon it. It's easy to transcribe business, Samuel. And yeah. on my end in the UK, the it was easy to transcribe the day. Completely. So, Ty obviously didn't give much away on Dijon. Um, do you think that he will sign United if been after him all summer? We know they're apart in the valuations a little bit. In your heart of hearts, do you think he's going to think United are going to land the man? Yeah, I think it's. I mean, it's too far down the road for it not to happen. It would be an absolute disaster if United spend eight weeks trying to sign the top midfield target and then nine weeks is it nine weeks now nine weeks on Wednesday and and don't get it over the line it would be disastrous really there's no other word for it and you know United say there's other targets but we've not heard any names mentioned and it feels like that's very much just uh you know uh, maybe a subtle message to Barcelona that we do have other targets I think everyone knows it is De Jong is is the one Ten Hag wants um there's this sort of um, broad outline of a deal which seems to be in place now, but obviously it's been complicated by the young salary issues at, at Barcelona and the money he's owed there, which you can perfectly understand, really, especially when he's essentially been forced out of that club. And he is he is owed it, you know. There's 
you see a bit of reaction on Twitter of like he's, he's not exactly short of a few bob, but whatever you're paid, fundamentally that's that's your salary, and he's done the club a favour um, by deferring some of his salary, and he is owed that money. So you can understand why that is an issue. But I mean, it, it probably sums it up that it is an issue now, and it's in a way it's, it's an issue between De Jong and Barca at the moment rather than United. I guess United could come into play to to try and help fix it in some way, but. You know, it sums it up that United get to this broad agreement, and then there's there's a, an issue between the player and, and his club. Um, but I, I do think it will happen. Um, you know, there's, there's still talk in Spain about how he, he's not convinced about joining United. I think, you know, I think Samuel put in his piece yesterday. Really, you, you don't get this far down the road as a club like United trying to sign a player if you agree terms, and then he says, "I don't want to come." You know, it's there's obviously discussions going on in the background. He clearly is accepting of a move to United and, and is happy to come, um, especially with no other option, basically. Um, so, so yeah, I, I I do think it will happen purely because it's just too far down the road not to now. I mean, if if we get to the end of the tour and they've still not signed him, it's going to be um, incredible and not a great look because he is missing out on, on valuable um, sort of pre-season time and training time and, and bonding time now. But... I, I, I do think it will happen one day. Alarm bells will be ringing, won't they, if he's not signed by then. Yeah. But I'll be honest, lads, my alarm bells have been ringing because I've been surprised that a defensive midfielder hasn't been so high on the priority list. Samuel, I know you did a line on that and you discussed maybe Fred McTominay um, or Van der Beek playing a bit deeper. But am I stupid for thinking that they're not the solution? We've saw them play in that position for a few seasons, but no, they're not the answer. Do you, do you share that stance or am I just being a bit foolish? Uh, foolish in the sense that United are prepared to go without one or with these players in, yeah. I was asking, am I foolish for thinking that's stupid without getting one? Yeah. Well, no, no, no not at all. Uh, <laughs> I think clearly it's, I mean, the, the club have spent some people out here um, on the tour from, from the club. They've elaborated on it a little bit, but I've, I've had a feeling that, you know, you get peppered with these questions all the time, whether it's a Q&A or just on Twitter, like, what about a defensive midfielder? It, it does seem to be the burning issue um, as far as the fan base is concerned, and with good reason, because the failure to sign one last year, had that, that caused their season to spiral and it, it, it contributed to a, a manager's sacking in, in November. Clearly, Ten Hag has gone all in on De Jong, and that, that's another reason why it would be such a disaster if they don't sign De Jong, because... They've, the way they see it is that De Jong, as he said um, when he was on international duty last month, he likes to collect the ball from the centre-backs. And so he would occupy a deep-line role. And United's point, it's like they, essentially they know that Garner, Van der Beek, Fred, McTominay, they can all operate deep as well. So you've already got quite a lot of deep-lying players there. And then you've got De Jong as well. And OK, I take that point, but none of them are a defensive midfielder. And... I'm not not being um, I'm not being disrespectful to Ten Hag, but a 52-year-old Dutch coach from the Eredivisie is not going to come to the Premier League and make a cakewalk out make make a cakewalk out out of it by not having a defensive midfielder. Guardiola has got one, he's got two now, in fact, and Klopp has got one in Fabinho. There was no way United who've had an identity crisis for goodness knows how long, um, who are trying to rebuild but are rebuilding at a glacial pace, are going to be in a position where all of a sudden things click and 
they, they tear up the league. If they do, chapeau. It's, you know, Ten Hag is, is a genius. De Jong's a genius. And he, he'll have probably left an indelible print on, on English football. But I don't think anybody believes that's that's possible. Um, you know, De Jong is a really, really good midfielder. He's probably one of the most um, gifted in Europe. And if you put him in City's team, you would imagine that he would tear it up, that he'd be brilliant. Putting him in United's team is a completely different dynamic. Uh, you know, the, 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 the players would have to get up to speed really, really quickly for it to work out really well. And I just think De Jong, he's not played, he, he has played in leagues where it's not particularly intense. And just him trying to collect the ball off Maguire or Varane when you've got these pack of wolves who are herring down on you, it's not difficult to see how it could go wrong. If it goes right, again, United will get praise and we will uh, write very, very um, positively about them because, as we always say, if if, if you deserve praise, you get it. If you deserve criticism, you you get it. But, you know, it's, it's a hell of a risk. And I think they're trying to put positive spins on it and saying, well, you know, two of the greatest midfielders, Roy Keane and Brian Robson, weren't exactly defensive midfielders. Well, OK, and nobody's disputing that they were great midfielders, but there's no point even naming them because they were from different generations and they were different players. And De Jong has been seen, is, is seen by some United as a box-to-box player. And I suppose he is to an extent the way he carries the ball, but he's not a box-to-box player like you and I are probably thinking. You think of that player being someone who's going to run from one area to the other and, and try and score a goal or try and make uh, try and make a tackle. Um, they're all action, they're dynamic. De Jong is very different. And he, he could be potentially transformative, but he needs someone to hold the fort there for him. McTominay isn't that man. Fred isn't that man. Uh, Garner isn't as well. Individually, they all have merit. But you need an out-and-out defensive midfielder there. Um, all the best teams in recent years, whether it's France at the World Cup when they won it, they had Kante, the recent Premier League winners, even at the Euros, the way uh, you know, the way Italy played with with Verratti. I know Verratti's attack-minded and, and plays deep, but he's he's been one of the best midfielders in the last ten years. And maybe, maybe they see Dion, you know, they bracket Dion similarly, but. I just don't think United are a stable enough club or squad for them to get away with that. I'd echo all those points completely. I presume Ty does too, if he's going to give a little nod of his head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I would. Um, I think you know, I think Tenag has basically looked at that midfield and decided that he's probably not got the budget for, for both. And he basically prioritised control over a defensive midfielder. And that's what De Jong will bring. They because they lack a controlling midfielder as well. They lack a reliable passer. Fred and McTominay for, for all their strengths, I think both can be very poor with the ball at times. Um, you know, they're they're very inconsistent passers. De Jong is the type of midfielder that's gonna have a passing success rate in the high ninety percent, isn't he? He's he's very good with the ball. And I think some of the issues that we saw last season, I think will be fixed. Excuse me, by um you know, a lot of the problems last season were that they had no structure off the ball and that they were poor in possession. They were caught on the counter-attack too often, giving the ball away, didn't have the right plays in the right position because basically that structure wasn't being coached under Solskjaer or Ranić, or at least it wasn't getting through. Um, Ten Hag, you know, we, we, we've we done a little bit here on what it's like on the training ground and 
you know, it's words like intense and, and detailed and things like that and stopping and starting sessions if players aren't in the right position and things like that. So I think he's clearly going to create a much better structure than we saw last year. And United are going to be better with the ball with someone like De Jong. So I think that will naturally fix some of those issues in that, you know, they'll most top coaches these days, the likes of Guardiola and Klopp and, you know, we'll, we'll bracket Ten Hag in, in there. Um, they, they want a real structure out of possession and players to know where they're supposed to be and what zones they're supposed to be out of possession. And you can see when they lose the ball that, that they'd have De Jong and Fred maybe as the first choice midfield. Neither's a natural holding midfielder, but they can both fill that position and at least create a block to, to stop counter-attacks. So I think it, you know, it would obviously be ideal to sign a defensive midfielder and it's a risk not having one. But I do think some of the issues will, will be fixed because of that. Before we move on to kind of the mood in the camp at the moment in Ten Hag's um, training sessions, I wanted to ask you, Samuel, about Varane. Um, obviously, I saw Ty write today that he was missing from training this afternoon. Is that becoming a problem? Because his injury record, it's, mm. it's mounting up, isn't it? It's it's not great at all. And it's, it's a worry that they're potentially facing a, a Liverpool team, which is, is a complete Liverpool team. Like their, their major business this summer was done before July. Uh, with a defensive axis of um, of, of Bay and Lindelof, uh, because uh, Two and Zebi was was also missing training today. Uh, Maguire did some work separately, and th- there's some doubt whether he'll be involved uh, in that game. I think Tomney and, and Garner also didn't train. Uh, all small problems, but of course, where we've got access to observing training, um, it's it's something to to pick up on and. and to get see clarity on but the, the Varane deal took a while to get done last year after he arrived in England and that was because in the medical that United conducted they flagged an issue with his knee uh, because he had a I think he had a knee operation in 2013 which they either weren't aware of or they just came across it while the, the doctor conducted the medical and I think they had to redraft aspects of the contract and so the, it was not beyond the realm of possibility that, that that deal could have could have collapsed. I, I'm not sure whether he's had um, whether he's had a layoff that has been due to that knee injury. It's always seemed to be muscular, which again is not great because I think impact injuries can be freakish, unavoidable muscular injuries. Sometimes you have to ask question of the the preparation going into a game, and the, I think the people at the club told us that he trained this morning, but Obviously, he didn't train this evening. It was a day where they did double sessions. And maybe he is one of those players who they have to manage carefully because he, he can't do double sessions. Uh, I, I don't know that for certain. But that, that's that's another signing that clearly has, has not gone according to plan. I, I, for a while last season, I think he was almost absolved of, of, of the massive issues in that defence and he avoided playing in any of the thrashings they got. But then he obviously started at Brighton, which was probably the worst of the of the shellickings they took last season. So it's not great, but of course they, they're looking to sign a centre-back, albeit one who's five foot nine and he's not Dutch, but he does play for Ajax. So <clears throat> Lissandro Martinez uh, fits the bill in that sense. But again, you know, you might know better than me, Stephen, but we would, discussing the other day it's difficult to think of a centre-back who has won the Premier League and played consistently and been under six foot there, there must have been one possibly but it's it, it's difficult to think of one it's it's a very very different um 
different ball game in the Premier League compared to the Eredivisie. I was laughing about that exact point with my friends on holiday, actually. We were discussing the potential signing and we thought God looked up his height and thought, that's just disaster written. <laughs> <laughs> um, as I came back from my holiday tie, I sat there last night and I was preparing for this week, getting back in the in the mode for work. And I read your article about the uh, the training sessions from Ten Hag. Mm. So for anyone who's not saw that article, um, could you kind of expand on what the mood's like? What, what has he been doing in his training sessions? Um, yeah, I mean, the mood sounds very good. Um, Basically, he he is, I think, as he was described in Holland, he's very intense. Um, he's very direct. Um, someone at, at the club yesterday described him as a blunt communicator on the training ground. Um, and I think that's, you know, we, we've seen what he's like in press conferences and I don't think that's an act for the media. I think that's just what he's like, to be honest. He was quite like that this evening as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He was. You know, I don't think he's... a a garrulous fellow who's going to be regaling the players with stories from his playing days and, and whatnot. I think it's very much to the point. And um, someone said yesterday, you know, the, the training ground is a place of work. Um, <laughs> and they said, um, he does he does like a laugh occasionally, but I'm not sure anyone's seen it yet. I'm not sure there was any evidence of him liking a laugh occasionally, um, which presuming he does. Um, so, yeah, I think he's very, you know, very sort of intense, uh, Victor Lindelof said that he, he's stopping and starting sessions if things aren't being done properly, um, and you know if drills aren't being followed properly, or he's seeing something he doesn't like, and it's all you know. I think that was always the biggest benefit to it. I mean, did the story back in April that the the concern in the dressing room, I think, was that has he got the force of personality to to manage a club like Manchester United? Basically, the benefits were that he's a very hands-on coach, and that is probably what they need. And you know, speaking to Speaking to people who, who are training and close to training, and you know, it, it sounds like his sessions. I think you know, one of the players said very structured and intense was, was how they described it, and I think that's you know might might not always be enjoyable for the players in in that scenario, but I think it's a pretty strong argument. That's what he need, what what he needs, and you know, you, you mentioned you read the article, and it's in, in a way, it's, it almost wouldn't be a story for any other club. It's a story because it feels like this is a team that hasn't been coached to that level in, in the last three years, really. And I've said a few times on podcasts, I think there's players and, and Rashford's maybe a prime example that have stagnated just because they're not getting the coaching that players at Liverpool and Manchester City and Tottenham now are getting. And I think Ten Hag will change that. And I think his, you know, his greatest strength is, is certainly going to be what he does on, on the training ground. The style of play has been absent, hasn't it, Samuel, across the last three years? It's just been so dysfunctional under different managers. Um, how long, realistically, that we're going to expect to see that style? Are we going to turn up to Brighton on the first day and they're going to be playing Ajax, Johan Cruyff football? Or how long do you think it's going to take? It depends who they sign. They've, the only signing so far has been a left back and they already had three of them. And OK, that, that is an area that they, they could have improved that, the way they framed it is that they're pretty much open to improving every position barring goal, which is yeah, fair twos really after last yeah. season. But they they need the personnel to be able to execute that. And of course, he's he's trying, United's trying to get those players in. You know, I think the whole mood would have been a lot more upbeat going into the tour if they'd got Ericsson and De Jong done. If you'd had three signings in, two of them particularly key signings who um, could be starting most games, then... That, that would have changed the uh, the outlook on things, and especially as those two are very much aligned with Ten Hag's approach. And he reiterated, not reiterating, but he was he was more specific on it today as far as um, the market's concerned, that they're looking at midfield and, 
an, an attack, which again echoes what the club have been saying. But of course, the signing they've made um, in, in Malasia is is a defensive one. They're trying to sign a centre back, and they certainly would go for for a right back if they could get rid of of Wan Bissaka as well. So there could be a hell of a lot that happens between now and the end of the window. It's just as well for them that the window does close uh, end of August, early September. It's not. It's not like it was in 2018-19 where you had those those early closures that really didn't benefit United. But again, they, they need the personnel in. If, if, if they had certain players in where you feel, okay, you, you, you have that belief that things could change quite quickly, um, then fair enough. But even if they were to have Ericsson and De Jong in, in the team against Brighton, it's still a question of who's... Who's in the attack? How are they going to go four three three? Are they going to go four two three one? Um, is, is Ronaldo still going to be at the club? Uh, is he going to be available for that game? There are just too many uncertainties at the moment for him for Ten Hag to be in a position where supporters and pundits and analysts and us journalists can have a, a an accurate idea of, of how they're going to look like or what they're going to look like. I mean, th- this game in Bangkok is. It already feels somewhat somewhat meaningless, even though it's United against Liverpool in their first pre-season friendly, because it's the same bunch of players for United as it was last season. Um, it's it's pretty much the commercial leg of the tour, if we're being frank as well. And they've already got some some injuries that might ensure that those players don't play. So in the case of Maguire and Varane, there's a chance they might not play tomorrow night. Um, we're speaking, of course, on on Monday evening out here. That they they logically would be the first choice uh, central defensive partnership. Um, McTominay didn't train either, um, and you'd have thought maybe he would start midfield with, with with Fred. I know that's not a popular thing to say, but that that's certainly um, you know, that that wouldn't have been a surprise. And so already it just feels like well you know what what the hell's the point really? There's there's not much to take from it. Maybe they will do, and maybe I'm just having too much of a pessimistic outlook on it. But it's. It's not. It's not great. I think they'll feel a lot more settled, and um, you know they'll they'll feel like they're they're really getting going and, and motoring towards the start of the season when they when they get to Australia and they can uh, set up camp in, in Melbourne for a week. For the players that are on the tour, Ty, and I'm presuming they aren't wanting to get on the plane back home. Hopefully they're enjoying themselves. <laughs> hopefully they're, they're much needed bonding. Which players do you think are closest to breaking through to the first team next season from the from the youngsters? I'm thinking obviously James Garner. He had a fantastic season at Nottingham Forest, but is he at that level for the Premier League? Do you reckon to really, you know, get a start? I think he'll play in the Premier League next year, but I don't, I don't know whether it'll be for United. Um, I mean, if they sign Ericsson and De Jong, there's an argument that you send him out on loan to a Premier League team. Um, I'm not sure it's actually been clarified, but I'm pretty certain he can't go back to Forest now. Um, it, it is in, yeah, it is in Premier League rules that you can only have one, one loan at a time. Um, there was some talk. At, at Forest, at an option to buy with Henderson might negate that, but I don't think it would have done. And there's no option to buy in the end, so I'm pretty certain he can't go back to Forest. But I'm sure there would be Premier League interest in him. And I think if he's only going to get, you know, five or six games at United, I think it's worth sending him somewhere where he's going to play 25 or 30 Premier League games because there's clearly a talented player there. Um, although the, the the gap between doing that and getting into the first team at United is is a big one. Um, so I I think he'd probably maybe benefit from from going on loan if, if the competition is is pretty hot at United. Um, beyond that, I, I, I guess Garnacho is going to be the interesting one. I mean, he's in a he's in a position that's 
pretty competitive. Um, they've got a lot of right-footed left-wingers who, who like that left-sided role. Um, but if Rashford and Martial end up playing more centrally, there might be game time there. He's clearly a, you know, a very a very good player. Um, had a bit of first-team action at the end of last season, still very young. But you wonder if if someone like that might get a chance. And Ten Hag, you know, Ten Hag has got faith in youth, and he he certainly made the most of Ajax, um, Ajax's academy. He, I don't think he's entirely devoted to to youth. You know, you, you see a few sort of um, fans supporting the idea of appointing him because he he builds young teams at Ajax. He signed a lot of players in their thirties as well, and almost basically used the academy, took the best players from the academy, and signed experience to to kind of have a, a balanced team. I think last year they only had one player between 24 and 28, maybe. The rest were either young or old, in inverted commas, in football terms. Um, so I think if there's good players there in the academy, I think they will get a chance under him. Um, and certainly in, in pre-season with a 30-man squad, there's you know there's, there's going to be minutes for everyone. It's going to be interesting to see how how it plays. You always expect everyone to play in the first pre-season friendly. It's, it's rare anyone plays more than 45 minutes, but... Obviously, even with a half each, that's 22 players. So, um, I don't know if we'll be seeing two lots of, of subs at some point. But, um, but yeah, I think everyone will, will get a chance over the next two weeks or so. I think we'll just leave it there, uh, gents, if that's OK. So, thank you very much, Samuel. Thanks for your time. You're welcome, Stephen. Nice to see you. Nice to hear, have you back on the podcast as well. I appreciate that. It's great to be back. I'm nice and recharged and uh, <laughs> ready for some depressing results, no doubt. Next season. <laughs> that's all the way up. Tyrone, thanks for the time. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thanks for listening. Take care.